Kenji Boy, also known as Mr. Big Head. Hello, I'm John Rossi. I'm a touring drummer with a love for all things animal. When I'm on the road, I spend as much time as possible visiting zoos, aquariums, rescues, and rehab facilities. Now, I want to share those places with you. I'll be talking to keepers, vets, conservationists, volunteers, anyone who is as passionate about animals as I am. Join me on my Raw Safari. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to the podcast with the host who is secretly afraid the AZA will try to give him a breeding recommendation someday, the Rossafari Podcast. Okay, before we get to the main intro, let's hit some quick housekeeping. First of all, don't forget to check out patreon.com slash Rossafari. It's a place you can go to financially support the pod in exchange for all kinds of cool behind-the-scenes stuff, bonus gifts, and extra audio from some of the episodes. There's also some show merch available at rossafari.redbubble.com. Daily animal pics and cool pics and vids that pertain to each episode can be found on Facebook and Instagram at Rossafari, and the official website of the Rossafari podcast is www.rossafari.com. Of course, it also helps if you leave a five-star rating and review, along with subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget, if you're listening to this episode and don't normally listen to podcasts, you can still find and subscribe to Rossafari on Spotify, Pandora, Audible, Amazon Music, and many other places that aren't just exclusively podcast apps. Y'all, today's guest is Paul Reinhardt, who is a keeper at the Cincinnati Zoo. Paul takes care of a bunch of different animals, but he is the red panda guy at Cincy. I know, I know, y'all are shocked right now. Another episode about red pandas. But this is actually one of the many things I love about doing this podcast. Even though there have been recent episodes dealing almost exclusively with red pandas, every person who works with them is so different and brings such a unique perspective that it never gets repetitive or boring. Also, they're my favorite animal, and I'm the host and producer, so gonna be a lot of red pandas on this show. But you already knew that. This entire interview was recorded inside the two panda habitats at the Cincinnati Zoo. I still get chills thinking back to how exciting of an experience that was for me. It also definitely kept things uh, interesting and challenging as I was doing the interview. Uh, I was also interacting with five adorable red pandas, trying to keep my recorder positioned properly, think of questions, and take as many adorable photos as possible. It was definitely a challenge, but one that was well worth it. This episode definitely has a lot of uh, audio challenges in it. We were both masked, we were moving around the exhibit, and since we were outside, you will hear lots of sounds from pandas crunching food to sirens, the zoo train, wind in the leaves, and guests talking in the background. As a matter of fact, the first thing you're going to hear in this interview is Paul dragging the bamboo on exhibit literally right over my handheld recorder. It's definitely an interesting noise, uh, but I think it really helps set the tone for the entire interview. 
Thanks for your patience with all of that. I still think it sounds great. One thing I hear time and again is that some of the more old-school keepers at zoos can be more hardened or have a less caring attitude towards their animals than many of the younger keepers do. First of all, I have to say that I have not encountered this at all yet, though I could see how it could be the case. However, I can 100% confirm that Paul Reinhardt is not that kind of keeper. As you listen to this interview, listen to the pride in his voice as he talks about what he and the staff at the Cincinnati Zoo has done for red pandas, as well as some of his other favorite species, over the decades of time he has worked there. Listen to his love for his current animals. It, it spills out of him. He brags about their most recent panda cub, Lucas, just like any proud papa would. He speaks with an incredible amount of affection about all of the pandas he discusses, especially his girl, Lynn. And one of my favorite moments of the entire interview actually happens early on. We started this chat in the panda exhibit housing Audra and Lenore, the two sisters from last year who still live together at the zoo. As we are chatting, he comments on how much he loves watching them eat bamboo. Now, this is a man who has worked with red pandas for as long as I've been alive, and yet he is still fascinated watching them do a basic behavior they do multiple times every single day. I don't know what the opposite of cynicism is, but I'm pretty sure that's the perfect example of it. Oh, and yes, I googled it, but I didn't like any of the possible answers. Plus, it sounded cooler saying it that way. And just as a quick note, uh, there's something after the main interview that you're definitely going to want to uh, hold on and listen to, okay? So uh, make sure you do that. It's something that I've never done on the podcast before, but it's pretty special. Okay, it's time. I want you to close your eyes, unless you're driving, in which case definitely don't do that. Take a deep breath. And picture yourself standing by the gate to the Red Panda exhibit at the Cincinnati Zoo. Paul grabs the afternoon bamboo for the sisters and you walk in. Audra and Lenore are being absolutely adorable, with Audra running up hoping to grab some bamboo, and Lenore standing at a distance wondering who this new person is, before diving in and chowing down when the bamboo finally reaches her. There's green grass everywhere, a few huge trees, and you can look out at the exact spot where you've spent hours standing and watching these pandas from the normal zoo pathway. The wind is blowing, the air is alive with sound and energy, but everything feels so incredibly calm to you as you swallow your nerves. And that's exactly how I felt as I started my interview with Paul Reinhardt of the Cincinnati So how did you uh, how did you get into keeping? How did I get into zookeeping? Yeah, there's a uh, a program, a high school program here, and I started in that, and uh, graduated in 1981, 
and uh, started as a hoofstock keeper uh, that summer. Amazing. And uh, have you been here the whole time? I have. Awesome. Uh, close to 39 years. Oh, that's amazing. Uh, 81. Uh, next year, July, will be 40 years. Awesome. Very cool. A lot of good, good things have happened to me here. So go ahead. Go ahead. No, yeah. So um, tell me about who we're hanging out with right now. This is Audra and Lenore. <laughs> oh, uh, nice. Offspring from Lynn and Cola. Don't know that everybody knows who they are, but Lynn's our star. We're going to meet her after a while. Um, Cola was here for a couple of years and went to San Diego. Okay. These two were destined for Woodland Park Zoo in Seattle and the San Diego Zoo. Okay. But because of COVID, uh, uh, they're going to remain here for a little while. Now, are they, is the one that's going to um, San Diego, one that happens, supposed to breed with Clark? Obviously, wouldn't with Cola. Or is it just going to be to hang out? I don't know. I believe it's to hang out. Okay. And gotcha. I should have reviewed uh, Rex today or yesterday. And uh, I think I read somewhere where it, it was just going out there to. Gotcha. I actually, I have the document too. Do you? I, so, yeah. No, I'm no. actually interviewing Sarah Glass tomorrow. So, oh, lucky. Yeah, good couple days. Good uh, couple days. <laughs> um, so, yeah, these two, um, I think I remember where they were just holding them, but I believe they're working up towards getting a breeding recommendation, but I'm not sure with who. So, now really, these two have dropped down a little bit. So, I know they've changed the recs, and we're going to keep these two here for some time. That's awesome. It must be so great to get to hold on to a cub for more than a year. Uh, it's it's new. Um, we've kept a few here and there. Lynn obviously was born here. Uh, kept her. Um, and I like it. I think I like it. Boy, they change a lot, too. Uh, usually they, they leave it a year. These guys are about a year and a half now. Uh, one reason I came out here is because I put the bamboo out here. It's it's nice and chilly today, and I just love watching these guys eat bamboo. Yeah, it's adorable. I don't, <laughs> I don't know why, because I see it almost every day, <laughs> but I absolutely love it. I cannot get over it. If we move slow, you can kind of move around and watch them a little bit. Um, I just think it's so neat to watch them. It really is. And I have to tell you, um, it's very special to me to see these two because... When I was here last summer, mm -hmm. I had the incredibly unique opportunity of seeing them in the nest box Oh, when they were Good. not moving yet, really. <laughs> and the, the person who brought me back and, and was being super kind to me yeah. um, said, I will open the nest box. You can't, you know, take pictures. You can't do anything. Right, right. And you're not going to see their little faces because they would always sit with their butts towards the, right, the, the exactly. door. Yeah. And she opened the door and there were two perfect little faces with <laughs> tongues out. And I almost died. <laughs> uh, too bad you didn't sneak a, a picture there. I'm interested to, to hear who, who brought you back. If, uh, it doesn't matter. I, no, right. More I and more, I really love opening up uh, opportunities for people to see youngsters. When I was a youngster here and we, we had uh, babies, you absolutely couldn't hardly breathe around them. You almost had <laughs> right, a, right. Uh, hold your breath when you were close to him. But I got to say, Lynn 
who we're going to meet in a little bit, is just a phenomenal mother. She is just incredible. And she's so, uh, she makes parenting look so easy. So tell me what it means to be a good mother as a red panda. Oh, let's see. For her, it's, uh, there's a word I always use. She doesn't, it's not complicated uh, for her. She, she absolutely bonds with those cubs initially, doesn't come out of the nest box. Um, I keep saying she makes it look easy or she's, uh, she's not, uh, easily upset unless, uh, mail comes down or a little bit of a, a bark or, or anything like that happens. She's right on top of it. And, um, that's very cool. Yeah. Very cool. So, um, is it common to separate the male once the, the cubs come along? Well, you're asking the wrong person for that. Um, <laughs> okay. Do you guys we, normally separate the male? We okay. have, yes, we okay. do. And we were not going to this year. And then for a couple of different reasons that I can't really bring out right now. That's fine. We did not. We did separate Kenji again this year. You know, every male is different. We've had males that love cubs and they roll around with them. Uh, Cola, for some reason, liked male cubs and he didn't, for some reason, like female cubs. And that was two years in a row. Uh, uh, Cora and Linus, he was just a jerk to Cora. Aw, uh, poor Cora. I'm, She's so great. I know. I was, uh, I was over there hanging out with them in Columbus the other yeah, day. Yeah, that's good. I'm glad. Uh, I need to get up there and see them. That's a great group, too. You got a male there yep. that lays and plays yep. and tussles. and. One of the cutest things I've ever seen is <laughs> Genso went into one of their moats. Yeah. And the Cubs don't have a problem going down in the moats, but for whatever reason, they opted not to. Yeah. And they were both peeping at him. <laughs> and then as soon as he came up, he went up to each one, and they went, you know, nose-to-nose, little nuzzle, make good. sure it's okay. And good. it was the sweetest thing I've ever yeah, seen. Yeah, that's crazy. Now, yeah. Kenji is all... He likes to keep to himself. He, uh, he'll tolerate youngsters around, and then all of a sudden he doesn't want them around anymore. Right. So these guys often will come right up. So back to what you were saying, uh, do we separate males? We do. Over the years, uh, we have. We give the female an opportunity, number one, to have them, to bond with them, to make sure they're nursing. We are very hands-off uh, protocol. That means if mama is doing what she's supposed to and and the babies are good, they're healthy, they're growing, we don't, uh, we don't interfere at all. That's and awesome. She knows the rules here that she's not going to climb up on. And she's probably looking for apple. And this is Audra. She's very dark. Hi, Audra. Uh, Absolutely gorgeous. She is stunning. Um, we do. Other places don't. We don't weigh babies at every opportunity or oh, weigh really? them when they're first born. It's just not necessary. And we've had a very good track record of right. making that work. Not perfect, but uh, but really good. So. Now, obviously, I, I assume that if if a mother here, like you know, talking generally, because mm -hmm. obviously Lynn is awesome, but um, wasn't being a good mother, you would pull in hand raise. Oh, we've never had to yet. Really? We've had a couple That's of amazing. we've had a couple of uh, offspring that did not survive, sure, but sure. but they were a week old, and all indications were fine. Uh, I used to say we'd never had a poor mother, but. 
turned out that uh, Harriet was not stellar at it. But she was, I feel like she was uh, immature and she loved to play, you know, the 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 bag video yeah she went uh, very viral <laughs> she was uh she was kind of uh just immature and i'm not sure even though you know they breed they they don't have a parent telling them you're not old enough to breed they breed when they're very young and right. uh, she i just for some reason or another she was just not up to the job lenore will roll over like cola did cola would climb up on a box and then lay back and just look like a couch potato that's exactly what she does it's so funny i think it's so funny so i'm curious um how long ago did you get into the red pandas here uh well i know we've had them since back to 1985 and i've been taking care of them along with that the whole time wow. uh, this exhibit was built in 1985 there's a marker over on the other side um and we've had over 100 babies born here i don't know if you knew that or not that's but amazing 100 babies or more born and raised and moved off to other places that's incredible that's yep. absolutely incredible and um did you love red pandas? Like, oops, sorry, kiddo, I didn't mean to frighten you. Um, um, like, yes. when you jumped into it, I mean, like, yes. were you like, oh my goodness, or did you fall in love with them? I probably fell in love with them. Okay. I didn't have a choice because my supervisor was a, a stickler for rules and doing things a certain way. So, mostly I paid attention to the rules, and then in time, we knew what we had here. We had a really good, uh, uh, program, uh, and, and I would never give them up, I don't think. Right. Do you, do you take care of other animals here, or are you just the panda king? No, uh, <laughs> I am never seen the lion king, so I don't do the panda king. <laughs> okay, fair. Uh, I do, uh, we, right now we take care of kangaroos, which are new to the zoo. After what a great a, exhibit, by the way. A long hiatus. It's a beautiful exhibit. It's really nice. Um, and I'm kind of part involved with uh, Children's Zoo. Okay. Before that, we take took care of the whole Wildlife Canyon, which was factory and camel and pea horse and talking and the uh, cyan warty pigs. Uh, and before that, uh, Sumatran rhino. My true uh, my true love in this world is Sumatran rhino. Okay, interesting. Very cool. They have so much in common with red pandas that that makes sense. <laughs> they're a little red and they're hairy. They oh, are. There you go. Got something. Yeah. Um, very cool. So um, I assume uh, that that you uh, have heard of a thing called the Red Panda Network. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, and I'm actually going to be releasing an episode. I interviewed Terrence from there. Good, uh, I think on Thursday it comes out. Um, sure. But uh, do you guys do any partnership with the Red Panda Network, or do you personally do anything with RPN? I know we have. Uh, for me personally, I'm a, a sucker for a T-shirt, <laughs> and I, I bought uh, uh, 100 Forest Guardians, and I bought a couple of others. Uh, I know we've, well, you know, we do a behind-the-scenes, and half of that money that we raise goes to Red Panda Network. So what you're telling people who listen to this is if they come to the Cincinnati Zoo, they can pay money, they can meet a red panda, and half of that money goes to red panda conservation, while the other half goes to helping an incredible zoo? That is mostly correct right up until, 
yes, uh, part of it does help the incredible zoo, but uh, part of it also we give to uh, Wild Camel Foundation. Wild, I can't remember what it is. Wild Bactrian Camel Foundation. Okay. So uh, we, over the years, have a true love of Bactrian camels. Uh, they're awesome animals. They need help in the wild. And uh, uh, I can't think of it now, but uh, where they're native to. And we've, we've been donating money to them for a long, long time. Wild Camel Protection Foundation. I wish I could pull it out. We'll exactly. figure out. We'll. I'll figure it out and okay. edit it in. Don't worry. I, um, I edit all of these, so good, good, you'll sound good. much smarter than, <laughs> than when you have a bad moment. Probably not. But it's time for interrupting. 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 Interrupting John. Hey, y'all. So the group that Paul is talking about there is the Wild Bactrian Camel Foundation. And um, I'm going to take a second here since it's so important to Paul and to the Cincinnati Zoo in general to tell you a little bit about these incredible uh, critically endangered animals. So um, Bactrian camels are uh, just like Camels that you're used to seeing, they are mammals, they are herbivores, they travel around in flocks and have a life expectancy of around 50 years. It's crazy how large these animals are. They are over seven feet tall at the hump, and they can weigh up to 1,800 pounds. That's a lot of camel. Um, so these guys live in the Gobi Desert, which is a desert in Asia, which has really crazy extreme temperatures, even for a desert. Uh, it can get well over 100 degrees Fahrenheit in the summer and yet drop to negative 20 in the winter. Um, because of this, these camels have these amazingly thick, shaggy coats that they grow in for the winter that completely fall off in the summer. Um, like most camels, they rarely, if ever, sweat, and that helps them conserve fluids for a long period of time. Um, they can actually survive without uh, water for several weeks. But the craziest thing about it is when they do decide to refill their water stores, they are really good at it. They can drink over 30 gallons of water in 13 minutes. How awesome is that? And how sad is it that they are so critically endangered? Okay, back to the episode. <laughs> I love that because I've, again, having been involved with them for years and I read everything I can, uh, it's so great that when they came out and said that they're uh, actually uh, a subspecies, or no, they're a Two family species. all their own. Right. Two species, uh, there's some, I'd have to debate that. I'm not sure, but I agree with that. You know, I was going to ask you about that, so tell me your <laughs> thoughts on it. Because so far, I've talked to a keeper and a paleontologist yeah. who have both told me, no. <laughs> no? So, yeah, that they don't think so either. So so tell me your thoughts. Because this this is a new paper, but it's not really tested. It's one paper. So so tell me your thoughts. I'm not, a, I'm not an educated person, but if you hold them... Bu- next to each other they're the exact same animal except for some uh some lighter color fur and maybe the styans are are just a smidge bigger i just don't see how maybe they drifted apart and went over the mountains and and developed these other characteristics or vice versa uh but to me i just i just don't see it they're the same animal with a couple of little 
color variations. And what kind of uh, pandas do you have here? These are Steins or refulgens, and you can leave this in or cut it out. I don't like the refulgens thing. I like Steini, S-T-Y-A-N-I, uh, to change it to refulgens. I've never been given a a good explanation of why they would have changed it after all these years. So. Yeah, I actually prefer Stanai as well. Me too. It just makes more sense to me. Refulgence sounds, um, I don't know, almost derivative. You know like what I mean? Like a reject. Or yeah. A, yeah. Yeah. Deriv yeah. Yeah. Let's uh, start to move over next door. Great. Let's go. Uh, I'm going to um, hit uh, hold on the recording for a second. Just, you know. You're good. You want the apple? I can give you apple <laughs> So I hit pause on the recording here and we headed into the other panda enclosure at Cincinnati. Uh, they have two exhibits that are right next to each other and you can honestly often see pandas in both exhibits at the same time, depending on where you're standing. It's really cool. Um, so from this point forward, our interview is happening in the second yard, which is the yard where Lynn, her mate Kenji, and their baby Lucas are all living. And uh, Lucas especially was uh, quite the character for this this part of the episode. He may or may not have ended up on my shoulder. Only time will tell. As a quick explanation of some of the noises you're going to hear right at the beginning of this segment, when we first got into the exhibit, Lynn was being a little shy and hiding, and Paul called her and then accidentally spilled some apples on the ground. Which, although it was a mistake, was really fortuitous because Lynn immediately came to get those apples. So uh, you'll hear that, which is pretty entertaining. Okay, here's that segment of the interview. Come on, Baba. Come on, Baba. Oh, hey, Lynn. Hey, pretty girl. Oh, gosh. Oh. Look at that. How dumb. <laughs> well, there you go. She's going to come out. She is interested. <laughs> All right, so this is world famous mother Lynn, huh? World, yes, world famous. She's my she's my star. Um, Lynn was born here. She's want to say eight years old. She might be seven now. Um, she had five litters of cubs. Um, okay. There you go. You're not the smartest thing in the, <laughs> in the whole wide world when it comes to. Finding their own food, so it doesn't surprise me that they switched over to to bamboo and that's everywhere. Right. So, um, five litters of cubs. Um, have you ever heard that females tend to, uh, when they're breeding, they tend to start to drop off uh, breeding at about age eight? Mm -hmm. You have yes. I so have. she's like right around. I swear she's eight years old now. So I've hopefully been convincing people to let her continue to breed each year. She does fine with it. She maintains great weight. For me, I'd like to really uh, see how long she'll go. Uh, she bred from the first year opportunity, and she bred every year since. So. That's amazing. Um, and what is the uh, the first opportunity? Is that oh, um, 
Two, maybe one. That is, they breed when they're eighteen months. Okay. And then they give birth when they're two years old. Okay. Um, to me, that's just fascinating, yeah. and I think people have learned that by accident over the years. But uh, it is very precise, and I've heard had panda keepers say, "Oh, we didn't put them together because she's not old enough." Well, she's eighteen months; she's old enough to breed and give birth at two, and it's natural. They want to breed. Even animals that don't get along in a, in a zoo or in human care uh, will breed with animals, with a male that... Uh, let's go, buddy. Let's go, little tiger. Oh. Here comes Lucas. Hey, Lucas. <laughs> so Lucas is this year's cub, right? Yeah. All right. Uh, born June 23rd. He's a little bit wary of people still. Seems it, yeah. And he's, you know, uh, there's so much to talk about with him. Um, I tell people he's advanced and he's gifted because he started uh, coming out of the box way early than I ever remember. Um, he started coming down out of the box and then coming outside and eating solid food. Uh, absolutely... Uh, early, and I just think he's just amazing. Uh, another thing I've learned this year, we've had single cubs born before, but I never noticed this, but he has not had a, a sibling to play with and to romp with. Right. And uh, he, he uh, early on, when he was just tiny, he was like jumping at people and barking and... <laughs> Uh, some of the people up here were terrified of him, even at just a tiny age. And then uh, now he, he doesn't have anybody really to play and romp with. So um, <laughs> so he comes up right away and he starts uh, chewing on your, right. on your pants. And this is not a good thing. I've talked to... Sarah Glass about this years ago that people would play with cubs with gloves on and then uh, as they get older these guys become problems uh, because they're chewing on like that right <laughs> chewing on people's hands and they don't understand well they do understand because they're older and oh, that's my phone buddy <laughs> he'll grab it he'll eat. Lucas tried to eat my oh, no. phone. <laughs> Oh, they're so good. He is so good. Up here, Len. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't know. You're probably really good at um, selfies. You can turn around and get a good picture. I love this log here. Let go. Let go. It's time for... Interrupting. 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 Interrupting John again. So it's really cool. Lynn is able to climb up on this log and you can stand in front of it and take a selfie with her. And I did just that and also got one with me and Paul, which I will be sure to post on Instagram uh, the day this episode comes out. That said, Lucas was feeling very rambunctious by this point in time, climbed past Lynn as she was climbing up the log, literally ran right past her, 
kind of knocked her half off and then uh, jumped onto my shoulder a little bit, which led to, uh, oh, I don't know, possibly my favorite photo I have ever taken with a red panda. It's definitely up there. And Lucas has definitely uh, crawled his way right into my heart because of that. As you could hear, though, and something that I thought was really cool was that Paul is just really good at what he does. And in that moment, he just very calmly said, hey, get off, get off. And Lucas listened and got off. And I just stood still and let it all happen. And um, everything was fine. And to me, one of the signs of a great zookeeper and a person with a great connection with the animals is someone who doesn't freak out and is able to just let what happens happens and then take care of it in a proper way. And that is exactly what Paul did. And it was awesome. And then we got our normal good selfie with Lynn, who is being well behaved because Lynn is a rock star. Okay, back to the episode. So far, I'm right on top. Oh, my goodness. Hi, baby. Hey, Lynn. Just got to be careful. (laughs) There you are, Lynn. That's amazing. She's the champion of picture taking. Yeah, she's she's a queen. You can tell. She's just amazing. Hi, Ben. I don't know. I usually don't tell people I love animals, but I absolutely love her. Right. Get out of there. Oh, what a good girl you are. Who's the best girl? Get me in there, too. So, uh, Amazing. There you go. So there you go. Um, what else? What else can we talk about? <laughs> well, so um, I'm curious. What's what's the dream? What What's the goal? Just being here forever and taking care of pandas and <laughs> loving life? I'm not sure that I've ever been asked that. Um, <laughs> what do you want to be when you grow up, The dream is never ending. The dream is to continue with Red Pandas, to go to Sumatra and see another Sumatran rhino born, to be involved with Bongo and Giant Eland and uh, uh, Hoofstock. Truly, at, at, uh, I'm a Hoofstock keeper above ev- everything else. So... Okay. Um, uh, I don't know, just to be happy, and I am happy. That's I love amazing. Working here, I go home, and I'm happy. Uh, I'm happier when I get to have a beer on Friday afternoons with my wife, and um, uh, it's it's a dream right now. Honestly, it is. Right? No, I get that. I, I, remember, I get to live my dreams as well, and it's a miracle when that I happens. I remember. Um, Years ago, I wasn't happy for one reason or another, and I said, I wonder what it would look like. And all of a sudden, I turned around, and shazam, everything is great. <laughs> That's amazing, man. I love that. It is. Um, so let's talk about usually my least favorite animal, but when they're at the zoo, they're pretty cool. Okay. Humans. <laughs> because I know for a fact that you have um, people who you, I don't know if the right word is mentor or coach or what you want to call it, but people who really respect you and love you and you have an impact on the people at the zoo here. And if you would talk to that, that would be amazing. Uh, So I am, how old am I? I'm 57 years old. I started here at the zoo when I was almost 18 years old. So there were some old timers here that while they wouldn't say they took me under their wing, honestly, they did. They uh, they taught me things that I would have never, never known. So I'm just trying to kind of pay that back. Right. That's all I'm doing. Um, there are people that absolutely taught me things. In the reptiles, I love reptiles and amphibians. And uh, that was actually my dream when I was in high school was to be a, a reptile keeper. Okay. 
got into hoofstock and they hired me here and uh wouldn't change a thing um it's incredible that's interesting because i try not to think about those kind of things but i just i like to help people Great. here's my new thing too i love helping people but i never ask for help myself <laughs> so uh that's kind of what i got going and um as long as i can keep doing it without help uh, or asking for help then uh well it's all good well that's awesome man that's uh that's a great attitude to have it's it's been very cool to um to see the impact that you've had on people, on pandas, on all that stuff. Mm. And to think of you, I mean, I'm not going to lie, as somebody who has loved this zoo for a long time and follows, and, you know, the red pandas do a lot of, uh, a lot of stuff on Insta and everything. Yeah. Um, you're, you're in your own way like a celebrity in this world, you know? <laughs> but I know you don't think of yourself that I do way. Not. I and do not. I think that's what makes you so, one, one of the many things that makes you so darn cool um, is that, um, you don't let it go to your head. You don't want to, if anyone called you an influencer or no, whatever the term no, is, you would no, laugh hysterically. Yeah, but <laughs> um, this, the zoo has given me opportunities like, like, uh, I would have never imagined years ago. Right. Uh, to be able to be involved with one of the most, uh, critically endangered animals on the face of the earth is, uh, beyond amazing to witness animals being born and uh help move animals around the world it's uh incredibly uh satisfying and humbling that's awesome and the people here are great uh the veterinary staff curatorial staff keepers uh i've gone to other zoos and i always say it's so glad to I'm so glad to come come back home and 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 work here. I can't even put it into words. That's so great, and that's such a such high praise for Cincinnati, which it makes is. me so happy because I, I I always say that um the there's a zoo close to me, Elmwood Park Zoo. It's a small little zoo uh, in Norristown, Pennsylvania, and that's my home zoo. I love it there. It's right by my house. But I always call this my home away from home zoo because I will spend if I'm on a road trip, I will spend hours to come out of my way. For one day here. Um, as a matter of fact, um, I was trying to meet with you earlier, like last week, right, right. and couldn't do it. I was down in Tennessee yesterday, but when the opportunity to, to be here and with you today, I was like, well, it's only four hours out of the way each way. It's only eight hours of driving. Let's let's make that happen. I'm glad so. you, that you did turn around and come back. Absolutely. And, uh, I'm jealous you get to talk to Sarah tomorrow. <laughs> and um, She's great. Something else I was going to put in there. One thing I do want to put in is that uh, and I tell people, we are incredibly fortunate. You know, we talked about the bamboo that I love watching them eat. We can, we cut fresh bamboo every day of the year. Sometimes they don't eat as well during uh, the summer, but we do offer it. And during the winter, we cut a whole big, uh, arm load and they put it in here and they just crunch through it. And it's just amazing. <laughs> We're really fortunate that the zoo lets us go around, cut at our leisure as long as we do it right uh, for years upon years. we have That's the way to feed red pandas. If there's anything with animals and red pandas, it's feed them right, don't let them get too overweight, feed them fresh bamboo. That's awesome. All right, so one last thing. Yeah. Um, I don't want to keep you, but there is a ball of floof up in your tree. I don't know if you've seen it up there. <laughs> 
uh, every time I've, I've been here in the last, in recently, there's that same ball of floof up there. And I'm thinking it might be a red panda, but it hasn't moved. It is. <laughs> Tell uh, me about him. Uh, you need to tone, hone your eyes because he did move a little bit. Oh, okay. He got up and turned around. That is Kenji. Kenji boy, also known as Mr. Big Head. <laughs> He's got a really big head. Um, and he is all male red panda. All these other ones came down and they want apple and they want this. He is very much his own person, his own panda. He likes to keep by himself. Uh, he weighs great. He weighs uh, once a week for me. He comes down, hops in a tub. Um, he's very wary of, of new things. So, uh, and he likes it out here. Uh, that's his comfortable place. He's up in a tree. He sleeps up there at night most often. Oh, wow. Okay. Unless it's raining and then he doesn't like to get wet. So he, he comes inside. But that's what I like about this exhibit is I believe these animals lead kind of a natural life. Uh, you know, they don't eat only bamboo or, uh, you know, they can't range for miles, but they can choose to be close. They can choose to be farther away. They're always ready for the cold weather when it comes in. And they love the cold weather. Uh, I just love this exhibit. And he's a very natural behaving male red panda. We love him. That's awesome. Um, I have a tradition on this podcast. Okay. Uh, it's called the Rossafari poop story. <laughs> I know in all your years of keeping, you have at least one funny story of some time that something gross happened. doesn't have to be poop. Uh, so, so any poop? Any, any poop, any pee, any dead animal, like, like feeding, if you feed live animals to any of your collection. No, no, no. You know, anything. Uh, well, I can tell you this. They opened up Indian rhino reserve down here, and a female rhino went out and pooped in the pool and then we went to open the drain to get it to drain out and they had very fine uh drain cover over the top of it so and if you've ever seen rhino poop it's all hay and crushed up hay and it would have taken three days to get that to drain down so i took off my my boots and rolled up my pants and waded into that poopy pool and stood there raked off the Raked off the uh, the drain cover to get it to go down. That's I mean I know there's others. People oh. ask me what's your greatest story, and I don't have it. Right. I don't have one until I just start reminiscing and talking, and then <laughs> what really? That's so funny. Awesome. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank you for for having. So I spend a lot of time on this podcast talking about how amazing and how impactful my guests are. And I obviously mean it. And uh, I'm constantly amazed by the, the people that I get to talk to and hang out with and interact with while doing this. However, the truth is, you know, I'm an outsider looking in. And so for this interview, I wanted to take the time to bring you some insider perspective of what it's like to work with somebody as impressive and impactful as Paul. You know, we talk in the interview a little bit about the fact that I know that a lot of people are influenced by him and encouraged by him and um, just have had their lives changed by interacting with this incredible dude. And uh, I wanted to give you all a chance to hear exactly how that goes. So um, I asked a friend who works with Paul to 
put together a recording explaining exactly who she is and exactly what Paul means to her. Along the way, of course, she also throws some praise at our good friend Colleen Adams, who you've heard on a couple of episodes, showing just how small and amazing this zoo world is. Uh, so here is that clip. Enjoy. and I am currently an intern in the Children's Zoo Department at the Cincinnati Zoo and Botanical Gardens. I've currently worked with Paul Reinhardt ever since September when I became a volunteer and then transitioned into an intern in the department, but I've known him since 2018. Um, So I've known him for about two years. Uh, The first day I met Paul, I was in this department called Wild Pack, which is no longer... um, information here at the zoo, but essentially it was a traveling, like, roaming education program where we would do games with the kids relating to our local wildlife, um, as well as talking in front of the different exhibits. Um, And I actually met Paul on Instagram first. Um, I followed him, and I didn't expect him to follow me back, but he did. Um, We had a couple mutual friends, um, which is what I'm assuming he followed me back for. I I remember I went down to Wildlife Canyon, which unfortunately is no longer in effect, but it has been replaced with Rue Valley, which is just as wonderful of as an exhibit. But I was down in Wildlife Canyon, um, and I was looking at some of the animals, and Paul was actually in there in the, what uh, used to be their camel and uh, Shavalsky's horse exhibit, cleaning out their um, habitat, and that's where I met him for the first time in person. He actually recognized me by my Instagram handle, which was pretty cool, um, and we had a conversation for about 10 to 15 minutes. Um, he was asking me because my Instagram handle is Komodo Bay on Instagram um, if I had ever met the Komodo dragon and I said no and he was like well maybe one day we'll both be able to meet one because he also really wanted to meet a Komodo dragon Um, but I remember thinking um, from that first meeting just how genuine he was um, and how much he really enjoyed doing what he was taking care of. I I remember him being in there with the camels, um, with Humphrey, the, our male, uh, male camel, um, who I actually got the chance to meet before they left for different zoos, um, a couple months later. Um, he was just in there like scratching them. Um, he really just seemed like he was in love with what, what he was doing. And he's been here at the zoo for such a long time. Um, and from there, we just hit it off whenever I saw him because I, I didn't actually start working with animals until this year in 2020, but um, I would see him um, periodically throughout the park and he'd recognize me and we'd chat for like five minutes here and there. Um, and the conversations just kept getting better and better. Um, Paul really was the um, person who is the gateway to, I'd say, what I am, I'm doing now. Um, he really is responsible for um, all of this experience that I'm gaining, and I will forever be grateful to him. The first time I met the Red Pandas was with him, and that was in the beginning of last year. Um, he took me behind the scenes to um, meet some of the Red Pandas. And from then on, like he was like, if you ever want to see them, um, just just let me know. And I thought that was so cool of him to just bring someone who had no animal experience or someone who 
I don't know, maybe it was, I was just feeling a little emotional about it, but maybe it was because like, I, we really only met through social media and we had only met each other for a couple times, but the thought that he was so willing to let me go into his world and see the animals that he really loved and took care of, um, was just absolutely amazing. And I, as I thought that he loved the wildlife Canyon, um, animals, like I, I saw how much he really loved the, uh, red pandas. It was clear from the way he was talking about them when I was in there with him for the first time last year, uh, that it was, that these animals were really his life work. Um, I know he's done a lot of work with Sumatran rhinos. He's also done work with tortoises in Madagascar, but it's clear that the red pandas are really his spirit animal and what he loves, um, the most um, in this entire world, which I can only hope to one day have a passion about a particular animal species the way that Paul loves those red pandas. A fun fact about that meeting in January of last year when he took me to meet the red pandas, he also took me into the AAC, the Animal Ambassador Center, because I had mentioned that I really had wanted to see um, the baby Tamandua at that, that was born at that time, Manny who I had never had the chance to see. And by some stroke of luck, uh, the baby was out on Isla, her, his mom's back. And Colleen, one of the keepers there, was letting them explore. And Paul actually was able to bring me in there to meet Manny and Isla for a little bit, as well as Colleen for a couple minutes, which was absolutely incredible. He really didn't need to do that. He went above and beyond for me and I will be forever grateful for that. And it was funny because um, I would get to know Colleen on a much deeper level um, a year like this year, which I had completely no idea about. I applied for an internship last winter. I did get and accepted a uh, position with the interpretive collection. Uh, with the ambassador animals. And I will explicitly say I had two recommendation letters, and one of those recommendation letters was from Paul Reinhardt himself. I never got the chance to ask if I could look at the recommendation letter. I'm sure it's probably, I'd probably cry if I did read it now, because it's probably, um, Paul's not one to sugarcoat things. Um, if he likes you, he likes you. And I, to this day, I don't know why he likes me, why he took me under his wing, but I will forever be grateful. And so I worked with the interpretive collection for a couple of months, and that's where I met Colleen, who I met last year. And now I got to work with her and a bunch of ambassador animals. And he did so much for me to get that internship. And then I, unfortunately, my interpretive internship was cut short due to COVID. But I, and while I was sad about that, I decided to apply for an internship um, for this upcoming fall session. I had the Keepers from Interpretive write me a, a recommendation letters this time. And one of the ones that I really wanted to work with was uh, Children's Zoo, um, because I knew that we would be getting kangaroos. Um, and I also wanted to work with Red Pandas. But I will explicitly say that the reason I really wanted to work with Children's Zoo was so I could work with Paul for a little bit. I know Paul will probably never retire, but I just can't guarantee that I would be able to get a keeper position anywhere um, immediately and be able to work with him. So I figured that an internship would be the best way to get like closer to him. 
And um, I actually started back up this year in June or July. I believe it was July. I started um, volunteering in Children's Zoo first. And I had an interview with them for the internship and they, um, they offered me the position. And of course I took it. I left it the chance and, um, working here in children's zoo has been a blast, completely different from my interpretive experience, but also just as amazing. I, I get to work with Paul two days a week because this is a part-time internship. So I only intern three days a week as composed to my five-day-a-week internship with the interpretive collection, but I just, I get to work with Paul, and um, I just, sorry, I'm getting emotional about this, but working with Paul is just a dream come true. It was everything I expected, if not more. He, I really get to see him up close and personal now, and I get to see how dedicated he is to taking care of all the animals that are in his care in this department. And he has been responsible for so much of my animal experience and knowledge in the zoo world. He's opened up to me. He's opened me up to so many avenues. He's the gateway keeper, and I know he's the one who's let me into the zoo world. And I know he'll probably like always be humble and dismissive, but he's really he's done so much for me. And Paul, if you're listening to this, and I hope you're listening to this, but I care about you so much and you've done so much for me. Thank you so much for letting me into your world. And there you have it. Can't say it any better than that myself, obviously. Uh, if you want to check out Sam on Instagram, you can find her, as she mentioned, at Komodo Babe. And of course, Paul is also on Instagram at Paul.Reinhart, R-E-I-N-H-A-R-T. You can also check out the Cincinnati Zoo at Cincinnati Zoo and at CincinnatiZoo.org. Okay, here's the rest of that intro song with more talky bits. Well, that's our show for this week. I hope you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed making it. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan Burke and John Rossi. Listen and subscribe on any podcast app. Please take the time to leave a review as it helps other people find our podcast. You can find Rossafari on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Rossafari, on the web at Rossafari.com, or email me directly at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.